Welcome to Love, Tales and Recipes. We're meeting today for a little bit of pleasure to have with your cuppa, a story, a recipe, and a tea or coffee pairing with me, your host and author, Melody Green. Hello, my lovelies. Today we will hear all about the pairing of music and food, herbal tea, a tea mug from the talented Dunoon Potteries in Scotland, and poached redfish fillets. Love Tales and Recipes is all about pairing, how we lift the everyday mundane action of having a cup of tea and something to eat into a celebration of life and a moment to recharge your batteries. And what am I drinking today? Well, today's brew is called lemon and ginger tea. This herbal mix is perfect with fish, light, fragrant and warming. This tea is a great pick-me-up and slow-my-stress-down kind of tea. And I'm drinking it today in a lovely-footed cup called Sky from the fabulous Danoon Potteries in Scotland. Well, that's where they began, but they are now based in Staffordshire, England. The colour is Umbria yellow, and the floral patterns remind me of 18th-century wallpaper. It's such a lovely design, and with lemon ginger tea sitting in the cup, it feels like I've brought a cup of sunshine into my day. Today's recipe is again another perfect pairing in the poached redfish fillets. And how did I get this recipe? Certain flavors draw me to experiment, and this recipe was one of those. Fish so easily can be overcooked. So when I found a delightful restaurant in Sydney that I have frequented many times, you know it can be only because it does fish the very best. One day, when I was watching the chef cook, I stopped and looked around and realized that everyone else was watching him too. Until that time, it had not struck me how like a performer a chef is, especially when they have an open kitchen. Of course, I accept that chefs that do television programs are all about showmanship. But I hadn't seen any real day-in, day-out showmanship until that time. And so this story and recipe, while it does not come from this restaurant, is homage to the theatricality and creativity of cooking. You will find a copy of the recipe on my website by following the link on this podcast. And now time for a story. Fourteen is a short story from my book, A Tipsy Man Goes Naked. Fourteen was a popular eatery on the Strip, as the streets of the fashionable suburb liked to call their restaurant district. It jostled for position and market share with many ethnic styles, as well as cafes, that catered for all with a homogenized mishmash of dishes. Fourteen may not have been a fancy name for a restaurant, as it merely reflected the street number, but what it lacked in pretension, it delivered in taste. It was one of the very best seafood restaurants in the harbour city, made famous by its million-dollar views and spectacular seafood. It was small, intimate, and bring-your-own-wine. But the reasons Philippa liked Fourteens the most was because of its proximity to her home, and more importantly, because Philippa couldn't cook. It was true. Philippa couldn't boil water without burning it. It was a great relief to her family when kettles became automatic and could switch themselves off, and it was jokingly called Philippa's Day, the day that frozen meals and the microwave were invented. 
Try as they may, different members of her family had tried their utmost to instill the simplest points of culinary art into Philippa's psyche, but to no avail. She was simply lacking in culinary intelligence and had long since come to terms with this quirk of nature, grateful that she had other skills to compensate. Over the years, she had lost more than one lover through malnutrition. Although she made sure that she came with a large warning sign that proclaimed her ineptitude in the kitchen, it seemed that the sign was indecipherable through the sea of desire that accompanied the early stages of a relationship. Most of her lovers seemed able to last the first few months on the sight, smell and taste of her before their stomachs proclaimed aloud their inability to live on love alone. And as the cries surfaced, it became clear that their stomachs would not be satisfied at Maison Philippa's, and they left in search of a woman who could also feed them. Philippa had been coming to Fourteens for many months, and on average would eat there two to three times a week. On the days that she went to Fourteens, she knew she would have a balanced diet, even if the other days were a bit sketchy. She liked the first dinner sitting the best. Firstly, because it gave her time to eat before the performance, and secondly, she would not have to watch the sickening display of lovers staring hypnotically into each other's eyes, more intent on each other than the food. Since the last disaster into matters of the heart with the guest conductor, Philippa had declared herself off-limits to love. Philippa had known from the beginning how fatally inappropriate the liaison would be, but didn't seem able to stop herself from the entanglement. Fortunately for her, another juicy morsel of orchestral gossip overshadowed her lover's departure, and she was, relatively speaking, able to grieve in peace. Wound-licking had become a mastered art, and she had decided that unless she closed her heart down for a bit, it might never recover from its shattered state after twenty-odd years of battery. As she arrived at fourteens, The waitress greeted her and took her to her usual spot, perched at the bar that surrounded the oven and grill and where the chef, Jean-Paul, was already preparing food. He was giving a dazzling display of chopping that made her nervously aware of how sharp the knife was and how close the blade to fingers that for her were her most prized possession as the first violinist of the symphonia. It made her feel dizzy with fear, and she turned to view the street until the sound informed her the chopping was done. As she once again brought her view back to the chef, her freshly baked bread roll arrived, announcing her dinner would not be far behind. She enjoyed watching him. He had an economy of movement, grace, and mastery that declared him to be what he was, a master chef. The restaurant was starting to fill as she studied him more closely. She admired the juggling of the pans, the flick of the wrist as he added spices and herbs to the dish, and his eye that measured the ingredients without implements. It appeared almost haphazard, much in the way she had once seen a gypsy violinist play the chardis on a street corner in Marseille many years before. He had played with a nonchalant disregard for the instrument, which she now understood to be great reverence for the instrument's ability to play itself, intent not on technique, but on the melody that yearned to be released. Jean-Paul was the same with food. He understood that in each dish there is perfection already present, waiting to be released. In light of her incompetence, Philippa was awed by his skill. 
virtuosity she understood, even as she didn't recognize the medium. She was not prepared for what happened next, as the diner sitting next to her flung his arms wide to emphasize his point, knocking his wine glass over. She tried valiantly to save it, but it defied gravity, and the wine spilled all over her in a cascading arc. She caught her breath in surprise, and although the clumsy arm flinger was apologetic, she sat in shock until the waitress suggested she go to the bathroom and dry out her dress on the hand dryer a few moments later. Collecting herself and her bag, she went to the ladies' room and repaired the damage, dousing the wine with her perfume in an attempt to cover the stale wine smell that may have suggested she spent time in street gutters rather than respectable restaurants. She noticed the arm flinger was missing when she returned to her seat. As she did so, Jean-Paul placed the plate in front of her, only to step back with a look of disgust on his face. I expected better of you. You insult my good food with your perfume? How do you expect to enjoy my food when you will not even be able to smell it, never mind taste it with that overpowering odour? Philippa thought the wine had been a shock, but this was much worse. She was so mortified she couldn't answer. The waitress, sensing that a contretemps was happening even though she could not hear the details of it, rushed over to smooth the situation out, but it was too late. Philippa pushed the plate away from her, got up and walked to the door. All the while, the waitress soothed, apologised and postured in an attempt to gain an understanding of the enfant terrible, her boss. Philippa looked at the waitress and shook her head. I won't be back. Thankfully, it was only a rehearsal. She rang in sick and went home to safety and her cat. After a few days, she had recovered sufficiently from the drama to be very angry. So angry, in fact, that she wrote a letter of complaint to Jean-Paul, care of the restaurant. She had originally thought of a letter to the local newspaper, but knowing that any publicity is good publicity, she refused to add to his success. Dear Mr. Ducasse, I refer to the incident the other evening when I was not only humiliated by a fellow patron with an unfortunate glass of wine, a mistake for certain that I could have overlooked had it not been for your impossibly abusive manner towards me afterwards. No amount of skill or talent is excusable when justifying your insolent and hurtful manner. You showed no respect for me as a human being and surprisingly little for yourself either. What a shame that a chef of your culinary skill is unable to match that with the minimum amount of decent human kindness necessary for basic communication. Your other patrons may be willing to be abused as part of their dining experience, but I assure you that I am not. I enclose a brochure on anger management and communication skills in the hope that you will learn from the experience. Sincerely, Philippa Seagrove. Philippa felt better after having written the letter and posted it, and she kept her word and did not go to Fourteens again. Instead, finding a regular eatery close to the concert hall where she was playing. The orchestra had completed a lengthy tour of China and Southeast Asia before she again walked in the strip. It was late, after eleven, when she found herself walking past Fourteens. She saw him before he saw her. He was sitting alone at a table in the semi-lit restaurant, drinking a glass of wine. 
the restaurant empty of patrons and staff. He looked as lonely as she felt. She walked past, intent on getting home, when she heard him call her from the doorway. Miss Seagrove, she hesitated. Philippa, she stopped. Please, would you care for a glass of wine? She didn't know why she didn't just turn on her heel and go home. She walked towards him without a word and passed him into the restaurant. He closed the door and directed her to the table, holding the chair out for her to sit in. Would you like anything to eat? No, no thank you. He poured the iced white into a glass and presented her with it. Philippa took a sip. I'm sorry, he said. She gave him a studied glance and then lowered her eyes to her glass but said nothing. I knew from the moment I started speaking it was the wrong thing to say, but I couldn't stop. I should have apologised then, but I couldn't. Surely it's a case of didn't want to, isn't it? she asked. Yes, I didn't want to admit that I was wrong and feel more beholden to you than I already was. Beholden? Why? He took a sip of wine and studied her, coming to a decision, seemingly, as he began to speak. I remember the first time you came here and sat on that stool. You were unaware of me then, intent on your reading, but I remember thinking, I hope she'll come back. I liked having you here. It felt right to have you here at the bar, and you did come back, and the days you sat there, the room felt more like home a gentle feeling that only you seemed to bring into the restaurant. I began to look forward to your presence. You know, having your kitchen in the middle of the restaurant is hard work. You cannot for a moment switch off or forget that you are on show or that what you are doing is performing. The art of performance is part of the reason this restaurant is so successful. But the food, yes, yes, I'm a good chef, but I'm also a performer. Surely you know what it's like, Philippa, the pressure of performance? Philippa nodded. I saw you at the concert hall. Alicia mentioned that you were a violinist, and so I purchased tickets so that I could see the woman whom I had no respect for. You play with a great deal of passion and intensity, Philippa. That makes us rather alike, don't you think? He smiled wryly. Yes, I suppose it does, but it doesn't explain your comment. No, it doesn't explain why I took it out on you that evening, you're right. But I take my food, my creation of dishes, as seriously as you consider playing the violin. Would you appreciate someone talking in the middle of your solo? No, I wouldn't. Well, wearing perfume is the same. It overpowers the sense of smell and masks the subtlety of the flavours. 90% of your sense of taste is firstly activated by your sense of smell. If your nose is filled with a multi-layered perfume, how can you smell my food? It was not your perfume or you per se that I was complaining about. I think there is a place for perfume, just not in my restaurant. Yes, but why me? Surely you have had other guests who wear perfume. Yes, but you were different. I expected more from you. He stopped, took a gulp of wine and then continued, I wanted more from you. I gave more of myself with your meal. I poured more care and more craftsmanship into its presentation. More love? 
He looked at her. Yes, more love. I didn't know. No, you weren't meant to. It was meant to be my secret, something only I knew. But that evening conspired against me. I was upset at the diner who spilt his wine on you. I restrained myself from hitting him by asking him to leave while you were in the bathroom. Oh, I wondered where he'd gone. He held her glance as she studied his tired, careworn face, the bags under the brown eyes, both puffy and endearing at the same time. He moved closer. A good chef has to have great taste buds and a good nose. My father once told me that sometimes there is a special smell that we yearn for all our lives and yet eludes us. When I asked what he meant, he could only say that the love of a special woman, your own special woman, has this perfume, and that if you are lucky enough to find her, tread carefully, pursue slowly, and court gently, otherwise she might slip through your fingers. I asked him if my mother had been that special woman. He told me she was a great woman, but no, she had not been the one. He admitted he had found her only to lose her through his own stupidity. I had not expected to find that woman, certainly not at this late stage of my life. I thought I would be without that yearned-for aroma. It's funny, you know. The yearning is not a conscious thing, for it is only when you have found it and then lost it that the aroma becomes the most potent. Yes, I do know what you mean, although I would use a different analogy to describe it. My violin teacher used to speak of the sound of the violin that was only perfect when played by a particular person, as though it needed that unique partnership in order to emit the sound. The more I play my violin, the more the relationship between us plays the music that supports the story the composer wanted to say. I don't really understand it, but I do recognize it when notes sound out for there is more brilliance, more light, more love in the note when this happens. He'd been open with her and now deserved to be treated in kind. She continued, I believe we have many notes within us that are played by others being in our lives. All manner of tunes and styles are present in these moments of communion, but some sound so deeply within but a whisper from them reverberates the soul and alters all of who we are from that moment. I reacted to your criticism of me so strongly because I wanted your regard. I wanted you to hear the sound of me through the space of your restaurant. I needed you to hear how you had already changed me, and I needed you to agree to want to make music with me, our music, and the tune only we can make. She smiled then, and he lifted her hand to his lips, caressing her fingers, breathing deeply of her. They sat in the restaurant, cocooned by the partial light, playing their own tune, learning its rhythm, recognizing its melody, and remembering its cadence until the fingers of dawn announced a new day, a new beginning. Philippa explained about her lack of culinary prowess, and for the first time her lover heard her and stopped on the way to her home for croissant and coffee. Never mind, he said. We won't starve. I'm a chef. Here's to our perfect symphony. He toasted her with the freshly brewed coffee. Her cat settled comfortably in the single armchair. This one would stay. 
If you enjoyed that story, there are many more in my collection of love tales and recipes called A Tipsy Man Goes Naked. You can find it at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and all online bookstores. And that's it, my lovelies. It's time to get back into the throes of your life. You can find more episodes on my website and social channels. Until next time, find time to enjoy a cup or two with a good book. Remember to take care, be blessed, and smile often. Bye for now.